Hello and welcome to I Can Relate. I'm Jessica Burns. This podcast takes us on people's journeys through personal and sometimes sensitive experiences. These are usually topics that are not spoken about. And the hope here is that by bringing them to light, it'll help others feel less alone in what they're going through. I look forward to embarking on this journey with you as we develop a greater understanding and empathy for one another. Today, I sit down with Bisi Alimi, a famous Nigerian gay rights activist, public speaker, and LGBT advocate who gained international attention when he became the first Nigerian to come out on television. We speak about the dangers of being LGBT in non-tolerant countries, where rights and social acceptance are far from achieved. Bissy shares how the events unfolded after he publicly came out, how he lost his acting career, was brutally beaten in his home, and had to flee Nigeria to live in asylum in the UK for fear of his safety. Please note that this episode may be triggering. Hello and welcome, Bissy. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. And thanks for having me, Jessica. I'm so excited to have you on. It's such an honor. Could you paint us a, um, a picture of the legal and social framework of what it's like to be LGBT in Nigeria? Um, the, the social framework is uh, a socially being LGBT in Nigeria is not yet still socially acceptable. Uh, the last time there was a survey, a social acceptance survey done, I think the number is still about around 85, 87% of Nigerians who still think that homosexuality should not be accepted or legalized um, within the legal framework um, in Nigeria. So that's still a very huge number of the population and we're talking about 200 million people so that's a huge percentage of the people and and then there is the um there is the other part which is the legal part and the legal part is where we have a law in nigeria that prescribed 14 years imprisonment um, for same-sex marriage um 10 years imprisonment for registration of clubs association um 10 years imprisonment for gathering yeah, so we, ha- we have that legally and then we have the social issue around it as well. And I think I read somewhere, um, I think it was the Global Attitudes on LGBT survey, that uh, 91% of Nigerians believe that you can't be born gay um, and 51% think that it's a Western phenomenon. Yeah, you- so that is, that's, those are the kind of things that are informing the opinions and the reactions of Nigerians towards same-sex relationship. So would you mind sharing with us your story of being an actor in Nigeria, coming out on national television um, and having to flee the country for your safety? My story um, started, I think it must have been about 2003, um, when I started receiving uh, messages about, you know, no, it was 2004, actually. It started 2004 because then I started acting on TV. Uh, I went to drama school and I studied drama. And um, and I started receiving uh, an email from, not really an email, a, a mail from a journalist because then, you know, internet was kind of like just picking up. Um, Facebook was just starting out around that time. And, um, and I started receiving this, um, message from the journalists uh, about my sexuality 
and wanting for me to confirm if the story is true or not. And but about two years before then, um, I was outed by the school, by the university magazine, because I was still in uni at that time. So I was outed by university magazine. And so there was that knowledge within uh, on campus that uh, about my sexuality. So when that happened and I was just being threatened again, I just had enough. So I came out to national television in Nigeria. And that basically marks the end of my acting career. Uh, and, um, and just a new, a new journey for me um, in my life. Yeah, I, I heard that you said as well that the president in Nigeria said there are no LGBT people in Nigeria and you refuse to be erased from history. Yeah, because basically, you know, it's so easy to, um, and that was not the first time that those things have been said. And they, they said, they were said, like you said, within the context of being gay is a Western construct, it's a Western thing, and they, they're not here. And you have a choice to either allow them to continue to perpetrate that, perpetrate that kind of, you know, discuss uh, while you sit back and just want to, you know, I just get on with my life or you want to say, no, that is not true because there's one of us here. And if there's one, there will be many. So you can't keep saying that we are not here because that, that is false. And someone needs to put a face to the discourse and yeah. And I also uh, read that you beforehand were um, an anti-gay protester preaching hell and damnation. Was this out of fear? No, it wasn't out of fear for the law or anything. It was just basically out of the understanding of, uh, of the household that I was brought up in. I was brought up in a mixed religious home, very, very religious, so, and was brought up to, to believe that who I am is not, I, is not in agreement with my faith. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, I have to, yeah, my faith brought me to a point where I needed to question if what I am is real or not. And I had to present it or situate it or explain it within the framework of good or bad. And the Bible, the Quran told me it's bad. So there is no other explanation for me than to believe it is bad. And yeah, and I have to deal with it within that framework that it is bad. And do you think this mass unacceptance is born out of religion? I know you said it was in your household, but for the country. I mean, it's born out of religion, it's born out of white supremacy, it's born out of racism, um, and it's born out of toxic masculinity that was promoted, pushed, and legalized by the white colonial masters who came to, um, to Africa. And I mean, there was no law. And it's fair to say were Africans homophobic before the arrival of um, white colonialists? We don't know. There are no documentation for that. But what we do know is that there are documentations to show that white anthropologists, white historians saw an exhibition or examples of same-sex relationship within the Africans that was not really frowned upon. So the legalization of homophobia um, was brought about by the colonialists. So 
um, for me, and the colonialists brought, they brought Christianity uh, before the Christian colonialists were the Islamic jihadists, they brought Islam and, and these things are situated within the religion that they preach. So basically I would say that situating it within the context of religion is easy, but it's also, it also in a way um, diminish the impact of racism and sexism and colonialism in the discourse of, of homophobia on the continent of Africa. Yeah, I think a lot of the British overseas territories have really poor records for human rights violations in regards to LGBT. So obviously I'm from Bermuda and here in Bermuda, we've become the first country in the world to make same-sex marriage legal, then make it illegal. Um, then it was made legal again. And now the government is in Privy Council in London trying to make it illegal again. So it's been an absolute roller coaster. And it sounds similar to what you're saying with Nigeria. These rules were set in place by Britain, but now Britain has, you know, made it legal. Do you think, uh, you know, when you sought asylum in England, was it easy to do that? Is it easy for people who are LGBT from these colonies, former colonies, to come seek asylum? Well, it's, it's not easy. Uh, I mean, it was easy for me because I had a track record of the work that I was doing on the ground in Nigeria, but for someone else who doesn't have that track record, it's not easy for them um, to claim asylum. Britain is still um, deporting people who are trying to claim asylum on the basis of their sexual orientation because they don't believe them. Um, yeah, so it is. It is not for some. It's easy if you, you know, if you have a track record of being an activist and of the work that you have done. If you don't have such track record, then it is your word against the word of the institution, and the institution is very powerful. And it's a battle you you mostly can't win. Yeah. yeah. So bringing it back, because I really want to focus here on the dangers of being LGBT outside the Western world. Um, when you came out on national TV, at the time, was there that law in place that um, you could be imprisoned for up to 14 years or did that come later? That came later. The, okay. law, the law that was in place was the Boggary Law, which was the, the, the remain of the British Empire, uh, which was a law that was put in place, which is a law that you will see in all of British, um, former British colonies. Um, the land that they forcefully took from the people that owned them. And these are the laws, part of the laws that they, they left behind. Um, yeah, so these, this was the law that was operating, but it wasn't, it was a, it was a penal code, which was, which was a criminal code. And the logistics around um, confirming whether someone is or someone isn't is quite challenging in a way and hence, um, the need, according to the, to, the, to the government in Nigeria, the need for them to have a law that does not require a lot of legal um, demands for prosecution, basically, and that was led to the new the new law that we have now. So, when you came out on TV, um, what was the aftermath like? I mean, the first thing that happened was uh, I lost my I, I, I was uh, I was. At that time, I was on set shooting. Uh, I was shooting a new um, season of a soap opera that I was on on TV. So that got pulled. 
um, I was I was taken off. Um, and then all the project that I've got planned out uh, for just dropped me. I so I, I was getting dropped because nobody wants to come anywhere near, near me at all. And then the backlash was just swift. Um, the show that I came out out on that has been running for so many years, one of the most watched talk show in Nigeria got pulled off TV immediately. And I just faced huge backlash. Like it was huge. Are you still to this day glad that you did that and were brave enough to come out on TV? I wouldn't call what I did bravery. I I call what I did what is necessary. And I have no regrets. And I always say this, I would do it again. Maybe, uh, I wouldn't wear the shirt I was wearing and the shoes I was wearing, <laughs> but I would do it again. Yeah. Did your family face any kind of um, danger when you came out on TV? Well, I, would, I wouldn't say danger. They face questions, which is normal. People will ask questions. People will ask them, um, you know, who is this person? How is this person? What have you done? And all of those things. But I do. I I can't remember anybody going to their house to to throw firebomb or to 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 slap them or to beat them up. That was reserved for me. Um, I think they were kind of excused in a way, and I think they were excused because they did what they had to do by distancing themselves from me, and that worked for them. Uh, yeah. So no, wow. they didn't. So because they so you came out and they distanced themselves. They didn't support you going through this. Yeah, they couldn't because they don't have the they don't have the the tools that they would need to support me. And uh, yeah, they couldn't. They couldn't in any way say, "Oh, we support you," because they don't they don't have the tools for that. Was that the first time that they heard that you were gay, or did you tell them before? No, I never told them before. My mother has been very suspicious. She's caught me one once or twice, so she she's been very suspicious of my sexuality. And um, she's never had a conversation with me. Um, I've never had a conversation with her. And, um, but she has always hinted at it. Um, that she, and she wanted me to be sure that she knows, but she's never said, sit down, let's talk about this. And because she never did, I also don't, didn't have the, the tools to have such conversation with, with anyone in my family. Uh, and so it wasn't deliberate that I didn't come out to them and it's just that I don't know how to start it. And I'm guessing that it wasn't deliberate that they didn't ask. It's just that they don't know how to ask. So, yeah. When you, I read that you were attacked in your home because you were living openly gay. Would you share what that experience was like? I've been to the UK uh, a month before I was here to speak at a conference. And then I, I went back when I was in the UK. I, I was speaking at an HIV conference. I was on BBC. I did some interviews and all of those things. And then I went back. I was arrested upon my coming back to Lagos and then I was released a day later. And then um, on, on the 9th of April, uh, a group of men broke into my house. Um, that was April, 2007. Um, and it was, it was quite traumatic ex experience for me. And um, they left after about over two hours. And that was one of the most difficult two hours of my life. 
Um, I was chained up, I was beaten, I was called all names. I was, yeah, you know, I was told, because when I was in the UK, I talked about the corruption within the government then and the, the, the way that the government was using PEFRA. PEFRA was the project started by George Bush as a response to um, the HIV pandemic globally. And it was a US response to say that we are going to set aside money to fight um, HIV um, across the world. And that money though wasn't directly explicit for gay men, but there was a place that allows for intervention for men who have sex with men. And the Nigerian government were collecting this money and they were not doing any work that involved men. So they will collect this money that has the bulk of money for men who have sex with men. And they were not, those people were not allowed into the setting for the implementation or giving grant to do the work. So I talked about this and these kind of like spark, you know, UNAIDS and the rest to start questioning Nigerian government. So now I want to make clear, I did not know for sure if the people that came to my house were sent by the Nigerian government. And I don't think that they are, because I think if the Nigerian government want to eliminate me, they will, they will have done it better than the bad job those people did. Um, but one thing that I know for sure was that they were saying things about, like I was saying trash about the government. I was bringing down Nigeria. I was saying certain things about Nigeria that I should have just stayed back in the UK and should have never come back. I should have done this. And yeah, that lasted for more, over two hours. And yeah, that was, that was the, that was for me one of, yeah, I get, you know, PT, PTSD from me. Oh my God. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. Do you think their intention was to kill you that day or was it to teach you a lesson? You know, there, there are two things that I still, going on in my mind. If they wanted to kill me, they, they would have killed me. Uh, I don't think they needed two hours for them to, to have gone through that. But at the same time, a gun was pointed to my head and, and I was beating with matchets. Um, not, not caught, they didn't cut me, so the flat side of it, but they let me know that they've got it and they will cut me and cut off my neck and cut off my head and all of those things. So this was where they made me know that they have a matcha, they have a gun, but they were beating me continuously. So, so were they there to threaten me? Were they there to kill me? I don't know. I don't know. Or was it, I don't know. I guess I wouldn't know. Yeah. But I'm still here. So that's the point. Mm -hmm. And I guess, in our like western bubble so i live in london the same as you bissy it's for people who haven't seen the other side of like outside of the western culture i think it's so hard to to understand that there are some real it's not just about society not accepting it's there are serious dangers of even being hinting to be lgbt and i've read a lot of the work you've done and something that keeps coming up that i wanted to ask you about is the phrase corrective rape can you explain what that is yeah, but before I, I explain that, I think I also think that there is a there is a um, there's a belief that the West is safe, mm. Mm. and we need to demystify that because mm -hmm. it's important to 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 not assume that the West is safe. It's also in the same London 
that two lesbian couples were beating on the train, on the bus. bus. Um, it was also in the same London, a 50 something year old man was killed right in the middle of Trabago Square. That is just five minutes away from Soho. Was it still in the same London that, you know, gay men were beating on the street of Soho where is, you know, seen as the, the gay streets of, of the UK. So these are these ideas that suddenly the West is safe. Um, I think sometimes could be an illusion. What the West has is a majority and societal acceptance that you know a country like Nigeria doesn't have. Another thing that the West has is the legal structure for protection, which a country like Nigeria doesn't have. But we also have to ask ourselves, who are these protection for? They're mostly for lesbian, gay, and bisexual people. We see in 2021, we're still talking about, you know, gender recognition act. We're still talking about the place and the respect and the rights of trans people in this country. Uh, we're still talking about, you know, even in the US, we're still talking about should trans people be able to serve in the military? Should they be able to get a job? Should they be able to get all of these things? So these are questions that, you know, the West is, the West has to face now. And sometimes when the West comes with, um, with the we're we're better than you agenda, mm. I kind of like say uh, maybe you need to clean up your house before you try other people or try to tell other people. But I think that there's a, there's a lot that the global south can learn from the global north um, in terms of activism, and that we we are grateful for. Now to answer your question around corrective rape. So corrective rape is, uh, is one of the methods used by um, homophobes with the aim that the reason why a woman is, is a lesbian is because she has not tested a dick. And that if she tests a dick, she will not be a lesbian. A lot of time, and sorry for this trigger warning, a lot of time, corrective rape are promoted or organized by family members. A lot of the time, it's by family members. Um, and these are family members who will either employ other people to come in, or sometimes even family members doing, committing this crime on lesbian. And the idea is that you will have unconsented um, sex, uh, which is rape. Uh, with these women, with the hope that if you do this, um, they will then turn straight. Wow, I guess that goes back to the whole belief that 91% of Nigerians believe you can't be born gay. Exactly, we have instances where gay men have been set up by family members to have sex with women with, a, with the aim of correcting them, but it is common with women. Yeah, and it, it happens even in the streets, Bissy, is what I read on your page. Is that true? Yeah, you can just imagine how unsafe the streets, the home, the bar, the schools, the clubs, how unsafe they are for women, cishet women, that six gender heterosexual women. Now imagine what it is like for queer women. So, and even imagine how, how what it is like for trans women. Mm. You can't, that must be so scary. 
I also, and I hope you're comfortable talking about this, Bissy, you had a suicide attempt. Would you feel comfortable sharing what led you to that? It was when I was young, it was um, me struggling uh, with my sexuality and it was me just trying to, um, you know, being afraid of not wanting to die with this scene. So helping myself to die would kind of like help me not go to hell. So we practically helped me to go to heaven. So that was, yeah, that was the whole thing behind it. That must've been so scary for you to, to feel that that was kind of your only way out. Yeah, well, that is mostly the, the choice of a lot of queer people. You know, it's the only way out that a lot of queer people you're also open about um, the fact that your friend passed away from HIV. How bad is the current HIV crisis in Nigeria? The, the HIV crisis is in Nigeria is still, you know, top on the list. Um, Nigeria still account for, I think, the third highest rate of HIV infection in the world. Um, it's still a big thing amongst gay men in, in Nigeria. Um, access to treatment has improved. Access to knowledge is improving, um, but there's still a lot of issues around discrimination and stigma, uh, most especially within the workplace. And yeah, so there's still a big thing around, you know, faith healing. This is where you think you can go to church or to the mosque and they can give you some form of concussion and you can drink it and you'll be healed by God. There is still, those, those things are still permissible. So yeah, but in all and globally, the, the HIV infection rate is going down. It's going down in Nigeria, maybe not as much as many of us would have loved, uh, but there's still a lot of structural and social issues that, uh, that are still very powerful, affecting and promoting hate, misinformation, stigma and shame. Wow. I think you, you started a foundation called the Bissi Alimi Foundation, which aims to um, accelerate the social acceptance of the LGBT community. Do you do any work on educating Nigeria of how to be safe and prevent HIV? No, we don't work on HIV. Uh, and that, that, that was a deliberate decision to make because there's so many HIV organizations on the ground. Uh, our work, we, we, we are a, a think tank and that's what we do. Uh, we do policy, we do research, we do campaigns. Uh, we do lobbying, so that's what we do. We do not want to get involved in that crowded space. Okay, and you said you do research. Um, and I think before you were saying, um, you know, you guys were down to 85% people were pro um, the rule banning same-sex marriage. Has that come down since, I think that was in 2015. Has that come down since? Yeah, around about 83 or 80 something. It's coming down. It's very slow. Um, again, it's Nigeria. So uh, it's as if we're expecting a miracle. I think we are well aware of what it is and how slow it could be. Uh, but also we, we're not giving up on what is possible. And, and we think that the number will keep going down. Okay. And Nigeria now, do you, and in the future, do you ever see it being a place where the same sex can marry? Oh, I'm not, I'm not in doubt of that. I'm not, never, never in doubt of that. I, I strongly believe that's gonna happen. 
Um, but for now, I don't think marriage is going to be, marriage is not going to happen in my, in my generation. Uh, I don't think I would live to see that. But one thing that I'm very sure that I would live to see will be um, uh, what happened in Angola just now, where, you know, it's not just that Angola uh, is legalized, it's legalizing um, homosexuality. Angola is also putting a, a law in place that will criminalize homophobia. Um, that is what I think will happen in my lifetime. I do not think that same-sex marriage will happen in my lifetime, but I would love to be proved wrong. That would be incredible. So what can we do to help? I, I think, you know, collecting stories like this are extremely powerful and they're very useful. Uh, also, you know, creating an understanding of what is going on is equally as powerful as well. And, you know, there's no activism without finances. So if someone is listening and wants to support the work that we are doing in Nigeria, you can head off to our website and visitalimifoundation.org and you will see ways that you can support the work that we're doing. But I also think that, you know, in our, in our own little ways, I always say this, charity begins at home. It's okay to want to help LGBT people in Nigeria where homophobia, biphobia, transphobia still exists next to us in our next door. So let's start from home. When we hear homophobic comments, when we hear transphobic comments, when we hear biphobic comments, let us challenge it. Let us start from there. Um, the people that we want to help can help themselves and they're doing a good job at that. Um, but there's an illusion, like I said earlier, that the West is safe and we should not be complacent in, in this illusion. So let's help by making home safe, but also let's understand that when home is safe, there's always a ripple effect mm. to outside as well. Yeah. Is there any advice that you'd give for people who um, are not out yet for fear of their safety? You know, this is all I want to say. Uh, coming out comes at a cost. Staying in the closet comes at a cost. Put your excess sheet on the table. Examine it. Check your bank balance. Which can you pay for? And when you come to that decision of which cost you can afford, make that decision. If you come out, you're going to pay a cost. People will accept you, people will reject you, people will have an opinion about you. If you stay in, it's gonna affect your mental health, you're gonna live in secret, you're gonna to have to always try to cover your, cover your track and all of those things. Which of these are you able to put up with? And based on that, make up your mind what is best for you. Because at the end of the day, this is all about you. It's about what is best for you and do it and do you. Thank you so much, Bessie. We'll end it there. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you so much, Jessica, for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. You've been listening to I Can Relate. If you'd like to hear more of these episodes, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can do this on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or any other platform you're listening on. To become a part of the community, Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Join me next time for another episode. 
Thanks for listening.